Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes. As always, I've got a question to ask. Yankees fans, are we happy today? Yes. Absolutely. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am too. I couldn't let you I couldn't let you get it out this time because it's the answer is yes. The answer is yes this week. Elaborate. Because they're losing. Yeah, you did say um, <clears throat> before we wrapped up the podcast last week that your hope for the rest of the season was to finish under 500. And right now the Yankees are 60 and 61 and under 500. The latest in the season that they've been since before I was birthed. Me too. Since 17 days before I was born. Actually. And toe. No, I was alive. You were alive in September of 1995? I was. I was. I was on September 6, 1995. Yeah. September, on September 6, 1995, I turned uh, four months old. That's crazy. Uh, I was so getting ready to set up less as being the only one alive for that. But you ruined it. Brutal. Freshman in high school, guys. Hmm. I, I'm I sure don't even want to know what high school was like in the mid nineties. <laughs> What's well, that? Really awesome. What was it? Was awesome. Like the there were no cell phones. There was no social media. We actually had conversations. Nobody cared about clicks or likes. It was awesome. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's more hope on the horizon. But toe and toe and less. I got to hear what you have then. I'm happy because Matt's chaos theory is coming to fruition. Mm. I didn't even bother to watch the games. So, yeah. It was some of the the most unwatchable baseball possible, the three Braves games. Uh, So just an anecdote on Sunday, which was effectively the game that ended the season that Marlins lost. I did watch that game. That was Mm. something else. So I, I watched most of it and then stopped watching to go do other things because I just assumed they were going to win the game, which as we know is a terrible strategy as a Yankee fan these days. And as a baseball fan, a lot of late blown leads. So I'm just kind of on my phone at some point towards the end of the game. And I'm talking to one of my friends about, you know, what I'm going to end up doing that next Friday night. One of my friends has a birthday party, whatever, but you know, me and my uh, pretty delusional Yankees state, I'm like, you know, if the Yanks get this win, go to Atlanta, take a couple games, I'm going to want to go to that Friday night Yankees-Red Sox game, which I have. Uh, So while I'm sending off this text being like, yeah, I'm probably going to go to the Yanks game, I open up the MLB app to see not a 7-2 Yankees win, but 7-7 in the bottom of the ninth, and the Marlins have second and third, one out. And then immediately I go back to my text and say, actually, you know what, I'm going to sell my Yankees tickets and go to this birthday. That to me was like the uh, the moment where I just said I'm I'm done I'm done for this year I think can't take it me too here. same boat same boat I mistakenly thought the same thing I was watching the game they're cruising they're up, they've got a great lead I'm for the first time in about a month I'm a genuinely happy Yankees fan this is fantastic they're getting a win they look pretty good but no I turned the TV off and they were they managed to steal defeat from the jaws of victory I am not really quickly too which was kind of a theme of the last two series of just like how quickly things just unraveled. Um, Remember Saturday's game in particular, I think I watched the first two innings, got on my phone, was like doing other things, texting, like figuring out what I was going to do. Next thing I know, it's the top of the night. I was like, what happened? Yeah. 
full disaster. Matt, you were going to add something? Yeah, I am not going to spend any money on the Yankees for the rest of the season. Well, the goal now for uh, some of us that are in the completely horrible situation of being at least partial season ticket holders for this organization uh, is just trying to make back as much money as possible. I was able to sell my seats for tomorrow night. Yeah, how? I don't know. And you know, when you're listing on StubHub or on StubHub on SeatGeek, they give you that recommended price. Yeah. I went north of that recommended price, sold within like 20 minutes. Okay, well, why didn't that happen to me? My Who theory is still is spending it, money on this team. Honestly, probably Red Sox fans. Okay, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, I, maybe. anecdotally, I sold like a couple weeks ago. I sold the Monday game against the Rays, and then the Saturday and Sunday games against the Astros for face value. And, like wow. our tickets are not cheap, and people were just willing to spend money. Yeah, it makes you. I think. don't see why. <laughs> I mean, not, I, they're I, they're I, coming I, to Boston one more time. I'm not going to go. Yeah, I mean that's. The only reason to go to that would be if you had, like, hadn't been to Fenway and you want to go see it. But you're not going I'm, to watch I'm the I'm actually going to Fenway for a Dodgers-Red Sox game next weekend. Oh, that'll be very That'll be fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. Well, the Yankees are playing spoiler this weekend against the Red Sox, so that's new territory. Well, you uh, do know if the Yankees play spoilers this weekend, they'll be right back in it, according to some people. Right back in it. It's all in front of them. Exactly. Mm. Beautiful segue, gents. Um, so our first talking point here is just about the uh, general delusion uh, that that the Yankees kind of seem to be sticking to. Is it and delusion Toad, or delirium? So, Toad, this goes back to your pretty spot-on feel now on Boone's toxic po- positivity and how it has uh, invaded the Yankee locker room. So the Yankees right now have... a Two and a half percent chance to make the playoffs, but according to Fangraphs, by the way, up from two point one percent yesterday. Making that progress. makes sense. Making progress. But yeah, Chris Kirshner had an article on the Athletic. Chris Kirshner loves to bash the Yankees, which is different. He almost like does it too much for my own liking. Canely, he's a kid uh, from the Bronx. I uh, no, I don't blame him. Canely taped a handwritten piece of paper with the word "believe" on his locker. That is the corniest. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the show, Ted Lasso thing that I've ever heard. Your Sounds like over. Some, something an Eagles fan from upstate New York would do. And then after the <laughs> same game, Aaron Boone referenced the 2019 Washington Nationals, the 2021 Atlanta Braves, and the 2022 Philadelphia Phillies as examples of other teams who weren't bulldozing their competition all season long before making a deep postseason run. Uh, I don't know where Aaron Boone gets his information from, but... On this date last season, the Phillies were 65 and 52 and second in the second wild card spot. Might as well throw the 2004 Red Sox in there, too. Mm, they tried that last year during the ALCS. And it didn't go so well. Terrible idea. It landed flat. True. Hasn't Boone, Boone's got to stop with like the comparisons to previous teams. It clearly doesn't really work very well. He did this exact thing, by the way, in like May and... Uh, I think on Talking Yanks when he does those interviews. And he was talking about these teams. He was talking about the Braves when they were 500 at the trade deadline, added a bunch of pieces, and then went on the run. It's not going well for him. But perhaps the most heartbreaking part of this delusion is that it has permeated the Yankees' captain to, to a degree that I didn't think was possible because Aaron Judge is someone that after the end of every season in the playoffs will call the season a failure. 
And I think beyond any doubt, you can call the 2023 Yankees a failure. But he's not doing that yet. So Judge said, this is fine. I've got faith in every single guy in this room. We've just got to keep that faith. Fine. Great generic quote. But this is where I'm a little, hmm. We're just a couple streaks away. This is after yesterday. We're just a couple streaks away from being right where we want to be. I think it's just like Skip has said all year. It's right in front of us. I don't get it. Or is it, would it not just be a little more cathartic to just accept that they stink right now and that this season is a wash? Yeah, but you're or is this what you have, Or is this what you have to do to maintain an image? But you're you glossing over not- the fact that just the day before he said that the team is not showing up in the moments that they need to. Right. That, that's, that's what it comes point. down to. We're not showing up when we need to, especially down the stretch right now. We've gotten every opportunity to keep ourselves in the race, but we're not capitalizing on we need on what we need to. And so correct me if like English is ostensibly my first language. Um, <laughs> but like I do feel like he's saying that uh, they're not in the race in that quote. And no, then the next day, someone told, told him to, to say that they're back in the race. Is that what happened? No, I don't think he's he. The first quote is just a statement of fact, right? They haven't come through in the situations where they need to come through all year. So he's just he's just stating the situation. And then I don't know really what he's supposed to say other than. We're a couple streaks away, like he, he I don't think it would be becoming of the team's captain to start either bashing the coaching staff or saying the season's over when there are still 40 games left. Like, I don't know that he has a choice other than to say what he said. Is it so much saying the season is over as it is just having some level of accountability for how bad things have been, though, to some degree? So you don't have to say the season's a failure, but you can say, yeah, we've been terrible to this point. We've dug ourselves this hole. The only choice we have for the next 40 games is to come out and try to win every single game. And if we don't do that, we're not going to be in the playoffs come October. But it's just this constant, like, we're the Yankees. Of course, we're going to turn it around and go on a big streak. But there That's seems fair. to be there seems to be very little acknowledgement of how crap this season has been. And it's and it's permeating to the fan base. It's clearly in the clubhouse, at least publicly. It doesn't look great. So I don't know. It's just to me, it feels like I would love a bit Honestly, a bit more negativity from the players. Everything else is so negative. Everyone is so negative, but the players. And it's like, who cares at this point? Take some ownership on the situation. Well, except I for think, the voice of the team as well. Yeah. That's my, think, that's my way bigger problem than anything Judge or Boone are, are saying, is that the voice of the team is not willing to admit that the team has made a series of bad decisions that have led to this point. That, to me, is much more troublesome. I don't know if we're going to go too deep into the Michael K. spiel, on this episode, but I don't, to, that's the much bigger transgression in my mind. Les, what, what were you going to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to hear too much of any in the way of negative until they're mathematically eliminated. Like once that's done, they'll, they'll certainly be a little bit more candid about how unsuccessful the season was. But I think as long as they're still, the mathematical chance that they could make the playoffs, then I think they're they're going to focus on that up until the very day that they're not able to make the playoffs. You know, as far as the K thing goes, like, I don't know. I, I can see what he's saying. Like, the Yankees had this thought process when it came to constructing their roster. 
few loyal listeners of the NYY Takes podcast thought that we had a different view of the roster construction prior to the season starting. So I don't know. I think the four of us can all throw our arms out, slap ourselves on the back because we were very much correct that these were the ho-hum Yankees and they ho-hum their way to last place. So to, to kind of talk about the K stuff a little bit because it's similar to what we're talking about here with lack of ownership, whatever it may be. So K was basically saying, Matt, right, that a lot of what you can blame this on was just injuries and bad luck, that sort of thing. He was referencing right. the DJ and Benintendi injuries last season as right. major blows to the Yankees. Right, which, as we all know, is nonsense because no one on the offense contributed last year except for Judge. Judge carried the offense the entire Matt Carpenter would like season. a word. And Matt, Matt Carpenter and Matt, would well, like and, a word. And Matt Carpenter, and he mentioned Matt Carpenter. Yeah, he did. Which was, in fairness, a good pickup. It was a, a shrewd bit of... of transaction making on the part of the front office but to say that the issues this year are purely a result of injuries and bad luck is is a misstatement of of the facts that's a it's a lie is what it is i mean it's that's the the dj deal was a bad deal it's okay to say that i thought it was a good deal at the time i was fully in favor of making that deal but it was a bad deal. Same with the Hicks deal. I loved the Hicks deal when it was first made. I was I was the number one person trumpeting how wonderful it was that the Yankees had locked up Aaron Hicks long term. Didn't work out. It was a mistake. It was a bad deal. It wasn't bad luck. Yeah, I, I think I, 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 I think what the problem is here is that I don't think I don't think the general public has actually agreed on what we're actually arguing about. Right. So I think that. The Cashman defenders, myself included among them, by the way, are point or we, 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 you cannot not blame Cashman for the problems of 2022 and to a lesser extent 2021. It's the hindsight arguments of we've seen this coming since 2019. We've seen this coming since 2017 is where you lose me with the fire Cashman takes, right? Sure. Like, like you said, Matt, the Hicks signing at the time, the DJ signing at the time, even the Severino extension at the time, were all seen by all of the leading industry experts and everyone who's calling for Cashman's head right now as very good deals, right? So I don't yes. think, so yes, you can say that they got that wrong, but you can't say that the process is completely flawed. The main issue that Michael K took with Peter Rosenberg was that Rosenberg said that the front office has been getting it wrong for years that is not true they've been getting it wrong for a year two years which has led to this point and do they deserve to be to have their job size in question yeah probably but i mean i I would say it's it's not fuel for the fire cashman crowd like it's i would say it's been i agree with everything you said so with the exception of that i think it is a deeper than two-year problem i do think that there were there were mistakes made that you could point to as mistakes at the time the biggest one of which was ducking under the the tax in 2018 and then not yeah. making a push for Harper or Machado. That and was where the problem is. Is that on the front office or is I've that I've been ownership? saying this since day one. Most of these issues stem from ownership. Yeah, absolutely. I, that exactly. I completely agree with. Completely. And it's like you can go to anything with Hal. You can go to Hal with anything, I should say. And it's like it doesn't matter the compelling argument you make 
or what you tell him. If he has something in mind that he wants to have happen, it's going to happen. And we are never going to know for sure which decisions were Hal's and which weren't. But we know that Hal's the ultimate decision maker here. But, so, no, I, but, but, but no, let's be clear. We know it was Hal's decision to cut the payroll after 2017. They're going to Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. So it's, and you know what? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. He's, he, they, sorry about that. They saw that they had this young, cheap core of, of inexpensive talent on the way. And they thought, okay, this is our opportunity to have this window where now we're under it. We can reset our numbers. Greg Bird is going to be good. Seve is going to be good. Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge are going to be good. We can build around those players with, of course, aging, expensive veterans and have a small window where we're going to be competitive. And most importantly to Hal, as it seems, stay under the luxury tax. With Hal, though, it seems like every time he allows Cashman to make a big move, he also has to think two years down the line where he's going to say, listen, we need to get back under this number because I'm not comfortable going to the second tax threshold where the tax dollar is going to be even higher. Like anybody that thinks the Yankees are going to make any moves this offseason, they probably need to have their heads examined. Yeah, and it bothers me that when the Yankees do shell out the money, it's like to the things that you knew were obviously coming and the things that you know in the back of your mind are just bad ideas, like the Stanton trade, and most recently, like giving all that money to Carlos Rodon, someone with a bevy of injury uh, injury history. And you kind of knew that he had been pitching basically for his career the last two seasons trying to prove to people that he's still elite and isn't that injury prone. And then the second he gets this huge contract from the Yankees comes into camp seemingly out of shape and is terrible for an entire season. So it's the, the Yankees are just late to things. Like I said this last season, they should have just gotten Rodon last year. Like why weren't they one of the teams getting in on that one plus one contract with him? It's insane to have not done that, especially given you knew he had bad health issues already. Why would you then follow that up with giving him this huge contract this year? At least do that last year when your roster was seemingly better and younger and see how it went. But but they just had to wait an extra year. Well, what about also, so we've talked about the front office and the mistakes that they've made. We've talked about ownership and how they suck. What about the coaching staff? And and so I, I think, you know, the, the chief... Um, People at fault for performance on the field obviously are the players, right? They are the ones that actually go on the field and do what they do. But it's also true that the Yankees' young talent, like the core that they put together in 2017, every single player in that group arguably has underwhelmed with the exception of Judge and has and has gone backwards, starting with Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino, certainly Greg Bird, even Glaber, you could say. You know, he's having a good season this year, but... He has regressed from his first two years in the last two. How much of that falls on the coaching staff? I mean, I, I have to point. I know I, I said I was going to talk a ton about Gary Sanchez on this pod, and I am. And I'm going to start now because Gary <laughs> Sanchez is having his best statistical season since 2017 right now. He's, he has his low the, – the biggest thing is he has his lowest strikeout rate since 2017. He has a – hugely above average offensive output for a catcher and even defensively he's thriving and actually his his defensive upswing goes back to last season when he was with minnesota uh he's been an above average defensive catcher now for two years after being below average 
every year with the Yankees since 2017. And that goes through the whole, you know, um, going down on one knee catching stance, all those things that the Yankees had him do. He's with a different coaching staff now, has been with a, a number of different coaching staffs for the last two seasons. And he's a good, you know, passable defensive catcher. So to what extent do we have to say, okay, not only is the front office making unfortunate mistakes and ownership is sucking the life out of the, of the franchise, but also the people that they're choosing to run things on the field are not doing a good job. Yeah. So, I mean, we can kind of segue this into the Benjamin Ruda conversation, but on Gary, it's 500 slugging, 500 slugging percentage, pretty insane for a catcher. Um, also, I remember writing an article way back when, when the Yankees hired Tanner Swanson, basically saying that Tanner Swanson was going to be the one to save Gary Sanchez. Turns out that was incredibly, incredibly far from the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, on this kind of sentiment, Matt, Benjamin Ruda, <laughs> who nobody knew existed before yesterday, uh, started making some waves recently going on the fair territory podcast uh and and effectively asking or acting as a whistleblower for the yankees organization and how they kind of do things in the minor leagues so he was in the org from 2016 to 2021 uh, which is like around the time when he said he said the yankees went to a much more analytic based approach after 2017 when they hired uh dylan lawson so that might have been 2018 um, but anyway, some of the stuff he said. Uh, summarized the main problem exhibited by Yankees brass was getting too many of the same guys and trying to make everyone the same player. Um, <clears throat> interesting. Uh, and then one one drill that he brought up was in 2020 before COVID hit spring training, we played a game called pitchers versus hitters. The only way to score a point was to walk or hit a ball 95 mile, miles an hour or harder so there's no baseball being taught there anymore. No base running, moving runners, fundamentals, et cetera. And then, you know, not to make him anti-analytics or anything, he does say, I do believe there's a place in the game for analytics. It needs to be a healthy mix. It's not a knock on the coaches they have. They were doing exactly what they were hired to do. The strategy of running an org like this is just dumb. None of that is actually surprising. And it, and it really goes into our uh, ho-hum conversation with especially when he mentions that every player they're trying to turn into the same person. We've known this since 2021. This spot has been on this for two years. Yeah, I mean, you were calling them boring even when they were on fire last year, so the floor yeah. is yours. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, Calls, I don't think Benjamin Ruta necessarily said anything we don't know. Um, just confirmed it from someone who was on the inside i suppose where i want to kind of make my point is on the major league level we're seeing bad fundamental baseball out of everyone on that roster it doesn't matter what organization you came from harrison bader is getting picked off for space like twice a week now Jake Bowers is like forgetting a number of outs and like even like the, PF, running into even outs. the PFP stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, like guys are not covering first base. Anthony Rizzo, even before he had his concussion, like doesn't isn't aware of the distance between first and second base. Like it's absurd. So, yeah, maybe it's an organizational thing to not coach fundamentals. But like, I feel like there's something going on on the major league staff that's 
compounding the problem here. Like, guys are top prospects until they reach the major leagues. Like, they're top prospects for a reason. They perform well. Like, what happens when you get to the major leagues? I understand that the gap between AAA and the majors is growing faster than ever, but that doesn't excuse the number of flops that have just um, been produced by this organization. Yeah, so... Sorry, go ahead, Les. No, it, it makes me kind of wonder what exactly the Yankees do in spring training because you, you see the number of brain farts that Glaber Torres has, has on a weekly basis where he's getting hung out to dry on a ball that's at third base and he's going from second to third. He's just kind of crip walking to it. And you're like, what, what are you doing, Glaber? Don't get back to second. No, but Glaber is going to he's going to go to third. He's going to get tagged out like with Glaber Torres. He has such a low baseball IQ, like Matt said. Or Matt or Robert, one of you guys said that Glaber's just regressed so much the last couple of years. I don't even I don't enjoy watching him play. It's just yeah, these number of just brain farts. You just wonder what the Yankees do for actual practice on a daily basis. I will say I think Glaber has been good, and I'm actually fine with the Glaber stuff because he's like one of the two hitters on this team that can still kind of hit. Well, he's he's been good, but but, but he's been I inconsistent. Think, but I think Glaber is a good case study for how the Yankees' hitting philosophy works. When the Yankees traded for Glaber Torres, he was like this kind of like skinnier guy that was profiled as someone that could hit it to right field, hit it to all parts of the field. He was never profiled, and was someone who profiled as someone that could play for shortstop because he was like slender and whatever, who had like some natural pop. It just seems like when he came to the Yankees, that they just kind of tried to just turn him into this swing hard, hit the ball hard player. And it feels like we haven't really seen a ton of growth in Glaber as a hitter. It's just been get bigger, get stronger, and just keep trying to hit the ball harder. He has like a good B swing, but he rarely whips it out because it feels like he's just trying to hit the cover off the ball every time. And that like is an argument that drives me nuts. But do you remember when the Yankees put him in the four hole? I think in 2021. Just to like see how it would go. And this was before he was like a big. Now he's obviously like the three two hitter consistently. But he was like just trying to hit the crap out of the ball. And it feels like looking at Glaber. That's someone that they just tried to turn into. Hit strikes hard. And it seems to have at least kind of stunted his development as an all around quote-unquote hitter and it seems like he doesn't his defense hasn't really improved so it's like Glaber to me is someone that should really be studied as like did this Yankees philosophy of trying to make everyone the same affect Glaber Torres in a pretty negative way anyone see Gary Sanchez's grand slam yesterday day before yesterday yeah so it was an opposite field poke his swing his swing looks completely different now than it did yeah. in 2021 yeah at the end of his yankees tenure yeah and he's like hitting he the ball hard the ball. <laughs> well it, but he's it, but he's hitting the ball hard he's making a lot more contact he's striking out less i don't know i think i think that also speaks to the fact that or illustrates the fact further that aaron judge wants nothing to do with the yankees hitting approach he does exactly. his own thing literally he about does his own thing bring this up it's like sorry the about one, that the one no 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 it's like great that you brought it up because it's like the one freaking thing that the one guy on this team that's an elite hitter has his own guy he's not even it's not even a yankee thing yeah. he, he told the yankees philosophy he told the yankees to go screw themselves and said if i'm gonna fail it's gonna be on my own terms 
Yeah. And so it's like we has, can't even use Judge as a as, as like a thing to look at. It's like the Yankees didn't really develop Judge. So it's really confusing. And I actually, you know, while I think this Benjamin Ruta stuff is kind of funny and it's like this guy's in the limelight for a few days, oh, he probably clearly has a point. And when you and when you compare it to some of the guys in the active roster, you see it. And when you compare it to someone like Gary Sanchez, who has seemingly blossomed outside of the Yankee organization now, it even it raises even more red flags. Or if you've gone to sixty games in the last two years, you can see that too. Yeah, I mean it's it's no wonder they're getting one hit all the time and yeah, getting and shut like, out. Like, like I was time. trying to say before, like the inconsistency among everyone, it, like the shriekiness, like that's what this brings. It brings when you have the all or nothing approach, you are prone to shrieks, and not only that, you're prone to just having these like mental fights with yourself in your head over like your own performance and your approach versus the organization's approach and. Like we saw that how the, I, I know this is pitchers and hitters, but we saw that how that affected Sonny Gray. I'm sure that affected Gallo and Hicks and all of those guys too. So, and then you were saying, Les, that there was a big change that happened after 2017 in terms of the preparation. And the biggest change that no one is talking about is that the guy who ran spring training for decades, literally decades, went to become the bench coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, Rob Thompson. So the Yankees' preparation over Everything completely changed. It went from a lifelong baseball guy to probably someone who was wearing a suit uh, downtown. So you know, you know what they say yeah. about Rob Thompson too. They say he's the most organized, prepared guy of any coach in baseball. The best communicator in the game. And it all kind of just makes sense. Yes. <laughs> like this all when you actually. That's why Matt. I actually don't blame you for being happy with all these Yankees struggles because it's kind of like. A little bit of like a, an enlightening moment because it really what's what's right in front of us, no pun intended, and what has been right in front of us for so long are the obvious flaws with kind of some of the things that are going on here. I mean, he, it was getting covered so, up by winning. And so so do you think Girardi and the staff got fired because of their relationship with Gary Sanchez or because they were questioning the. Uh, new direction uh, the, of the front the, office. The Girardi fired. Uh, yeah, the Phillies fired. I think Girardi was just a bad manager. Then what about so, everyone else? A bad manager? I think, I I mean, yeah, he was horrible with the Phillies, and then they fired him, and everyone seemed okay, happy Okay, but then, okay, then why not? But then why Girardi's just like a, he's a Rob Thompson, a Joe Espada, like those guys who have proven to be good MLB coaches with other teams. Well, because didn't, I mean, Rob Thompson, like Kevin Long, they all wanted to, like, go. They were Girardi guys, so it's. You know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like if you were to fire Cashman, it's like you're losing all of Cashman's guys too, like Matt Fishman and Ferry, but, all those guys. You know what, though? To go back to, to Gary Sanchez, it also helps when you have a lineup full of all-stars that you can talk hitting with. With the Yankees, you've got Aaron Judge and not much else. Like Gary Sanchez, he gets to play with Manny Machado, uh, Juan Soto. You, you've got Fernando Tatis Jr. Like he's got actual stars in the lineup that he could talk baseball with, that have awesome skill sets. The Yankees don't. They are trying to figure this shit out on the fly, and they think that they're smarter than everybody else, but, you know, they're just not. <laughs> Austin Wells might get called up this weekend, and that will change. <laughs> That's right. The de facto hitting instructor that saved Anthony Volpe. Full team chicken parm dinner coming right up. Yeah, they'll turn this thing around. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I guess we need to kind of talk about what the next step of the season is. 
which is I think we're all in agreement. We hope that tomorrow or at the latest Saturday, we're seeing everyone. Everson Pereira, Andres Chaparro, Will Warren, Oswald Peraza, Clayton Beater. Hopefully Austin Wells. I doubt it, though. Yeah, what uh, position would he Austin play? Wells. <laughs> first. Uh, Nobody else can play first. But I think we're kind of Can he play all... first? <laughs> Why not? I think Chaparro can. Yeah, Chaparro's yeah, Chaparro another uh, right-handed like, power dude. Chaparro is a right-handed power dude that's going to swing and miss a ton, but when he hits nukes, it's going to be cool. Yeah, Shelly Duncan. It's much cooler to be like a young called up kid that's like swinging and missing a ton and hitting the occasional homer than it is to be like some like Giancarlo Stanton. Like it's much cooler to be Giancarlo Stanton when you're 21 than Giancarlo Stanton when you're 33. Or it's just really cool to be Shelly Duncan. That too. But yeah, I mean, I think I actually find this to be pretty exciting that the Yankees are actually we're going to enter kind of an era where bring up the kids and let's see what they have. Because we've been everyone just talks about and like clamors for these guys to come up and play. And, like, finally, it's ripe for them to do so. Shut down DJ. Rizzo, don't come back ever again, ideally. Let ju- Judge is going to be impossible to get to sit because he's going to be like, no. Judge, because Judge makes all the decisions for Aaron Judge. Maybe he'll just hurt himself again. Yeah, maybe he'll get hurt. So, yeah. Is there someone, I'll frame it like this. Is there someone you're most excited for that ever would come in a situation like this? Pereira. Everson Pereira, absolutely. He's. I'm just looking forward to seeing him play ball. I've seen him down here a few times. He's good. He's a lot of fun to watch. I would love to see Esteban Floreal. I think Toe and I are beating the drum for Esteban Floreal to get called up, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, it'll be fun to see Clayton Beater and Will Warren in, like, eat innings. I'm always fascinated by I'm always into the pitching. Uh, and Will Warren slash Clayton Beater. Clayton Beater being the person that the Yankees got in the Joey Gallo trade. It's like you know, if, we, if we want to uh you know, that could end up being a sneaky Yankees front office W <laughs> somehow turning Joey Gallo into, you know, maybe Clayton Beater. Who yeah, but the Yankees front good. office has been good at that though. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, but if there's if there's something the Yankees front office has been good on, it's been finding random relievers and making them elite. So, but I feel like everyone does that now. Yeah, and also the cost to think about the cost to get Gallo. I was going to say I'm looking forward to seeing Ezekiel Duran. Oh wait, <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't need to talk about you know that failure too much. We like to flush that down the drain. But Matt, who are, who are you who are you most excited to see? Besides Ezekiel Duran. Besides Zeke Duran. Probably Pereira, because I think because Pereira's been in the system for so long, and he, he he was one of those guys that was signed as like a teenager, and he came all the way up. Like I remember when he was playing for the Pulaski Yankees. I remember seeing him in spring training 2020 when I was in Florida, like three days before COVID broke out. So. Yeah, I have a history with with Everson Pereira. I'm excited to see what he can do. He's going to be another swing and miss guy. Just by the way, he's going to he's going to swing and miss a ton. I mean, all the, I, I'm all these guys for, are. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm also looking forward to the fan base turning on all of these guys within two weeks. <laughs> Quickly. Yeah, but see, actually, I think that the fan base. I think if this happens. This year, people might actually not turn on them as quickly because we're also disgusted with everyone else. You know, it's going to be like, let's just bring up the young guys and have them struggle 
I think they'll have longer leashes than in than guys in previous years. I mean, I haven't heard a ton of Volpe flack, even as he's been garbage the whole season. I actually think this is the oh, year where yeah, Yankee you, fans... Yeah, that's because you weren't on Twitter. Fair enough. It was really bad, like late May. It was like really, really bad. Well, and in any case, I do think this is the year where where people will have a little more patience with young players. Especially it's going to be really funny. It's going to be really funny. Like <laughs> they're going to be like, "Oh, these guys suck too." Like, what are we doing? Just but Everson, Everson Pereira strikes out five times in one game and gets booed. Yeah, like one of the guys is going to go like one of the guys is going to start three for fourteen with nine strikeouts. And everyone's going to lose their minds. Um, Everson Pereira and Austin Wells were not in the lineup tonight for Scranton. Yeah, that's why mm. I hinted tomorrow. But again, what position does Austin Wells play? He's a catcher. So Ben Warfare gets sent down. Or you just DFA Higgy. <laughs> Who's been good? Is a day. Yeah, but he's 33. Uh, and I think is a free agent after this year. Whatever. I'll have to. Con- I'll have so to. Anyway, so. anyway, Austin Wells better buy himself a first baseman mitt. Uh, come second week of October. Yeah. Oh no, Higgy is under arbitration through next season. So maybe you don't get rid of him. Yeah. Maybe you just move Austin Wells to first base. Yeah. Figure something does he out. Pro- does he project as a first baseman? Well, he doesn't project you- as a catcher. So, where else are you going to play him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'll maybe get me to go to some games if Everson Pereira and Andres Chaparro are in that lineup every night. I'd go watch that. Um, final note before we sign off here. Are you guys going to go to Fire Cashman Night on September 22nd? I will not be in New York City. <laughs> Apparently, there's a bunch of fans organizing a Fire Brian Cashman Night. That's honestly such a bad look for the entire fan base. You have one lousy season, and all of a sudden, like, you're going full MSG Knicks. If you gave (laughs) Brian Cashman the opportunity to have a tell-all about how pathetic he thinks the Yankees fan base is, it would be nonstop. That is true, and I think it can also be simultaneously true that it might be nice to get a fresh start in terms of the... Just the whole apparatus. I mean, I, and and I actually agree with the general principle that, well, first of all, that Brian Cashman has done an amazing job for, you know, 30 years in this organization. And that he's done, you know, the Yankees would not have had the string of super successful seasons they had between 2017 and 2021 without him. While also acknowledging that there comes a time when you just got to breathe some new life into decision-making. I say that as a Cashman fan. I say that as someone who, who agrees that he's gotten too much flack over the years and has made way more good decisions than bad ones. So I guess my question is then, why is Brian Cashman like still in this position? We're really going to have this conversation right now. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Why is he in the position of, of still being in the job? Well, Toe has still being in the role he is. So because he's done a great job, because he's done a fan. No, he's, no, no. Again, but like what I'm saying is, look, I'm thinking of a Billy Bean, a Theo Epstein, all of these well-respected 
baseball men who have he is won SVP of the Yankees, by the way. He is Cashman, Brian Cashman, senior vice president. Right. Yeah. But he's still the general manager. He's been the general manager for a long time. And if you look at all of these other organizations, there is a vice president of baseball operations that exists in the organization and oversees everything. And the general manager reports to him. I think it might be time for a new general manager, but I think it's time for that general manager to report to Brian Cashman. That's Maybe. the thing. The, the Yankees have been so fat with, you know, people that were the boss's friends and now they litter the, the team's organizational structure that there's just no room for Brian Cashman to have. A, there's no organizational chart that exists where there's a cohesive decision about the organizational philosophy that gets pushed down throughout the whole system. It's like Brian Cashman has to kind of build this organization himself, make the trades himself, sign everybody. But there's no, there's, he's got David Oppenheimer, but you know, there's no senior level executive like Randy Levine, who knows what the hell he does. He's basically a blathering idiot that you see at the press conference. He signs, he signs deals, he signs deals with that new paddle like tournament. And do you see that? What the hell is that? By the way? Um, yeah. He signs deals with that in a star insurance. Right, exactly. Anybody can do that. But he's the team president still. Yeah, I, I just think that there's some type of like organ like organizational like structure feature that well that made a lot of sense. Um, but like, there's something in the organization that basically pushes Cashman like you're the baseball guy. Everything else is dictated by Hal Levine, trust, yeah. etc. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like what Cashman has to work with is like whatever's left over from whatever they want to do on the business side. Absolutely, man. I, I mean, look, the, the lawn trust, Randy Levine brain trust is, <laughs> well, we know what it is. Some of the stuff that's why said, they don't sell some of <laughs> the stuff they've said throughout the years is in, is pretty tough to read. So, no, I agree. I think it's like two different companies with two completely different ideas of baseball. And it's the problem is when the company that's run by Hal Lontross and Randy Levine gets an idea, it happens no matter what. And then when the company that's run by Brian Cashman, Matt Ferry, et cetera, has an idea, it only happens if Hal, Randy, and Lontross want it to happen. That is a huge disconnect in the organization, and it's because they are the New York Yankees. They are a corporation, and a big one, and they're run by these three guys that have been there forever. They're not only a corporation, they are a New York corporation. Yeah, so I think, I think the issues run deep, and, and I think you, I mean, you see it happening even when they, they hire guys like Brian Sabian and, and Omar Manaya. It's like Things are just happening that don't make a lot of sense. And the more they lose, the more you have time to not be blinded by winning. And the more time you have to actually kind of like peel back the layers of the Yankees organization, which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's Hal Steinbrenner, Randy Levine, and Lon Trost. So that's kind of what we're stuck with, right? It. It does make it interesting, you know, when you talk about the corporation versus the baseball side of the of the operation, like the, the way the Yankees philosophy has worked. We just did a lot of a, a long stretch out of analytics. But now it's like you just mentioned, Cole, it's like you've got people like uh, Sabian and Omar Manaya, 
But now they're also bringing Andy Pettit back into the organization. They're bringing Sean Casey in to teach a different approach to hitting. Like, I'm wondering if if there's a slow churn toward the Yankees changing the way that they're going to actually operate, which will be kind of interesting come 2024. This, this is where I will leave us off on the Yankees organization and maybe this podcast. Lon Trost, and, and these are blaring sirens, red flags, that just goes to show you the underbelly of the Yankee organization can be terrible. Back in 2016 in February in the offseason, this was when there was a ton of drama about the legend seats and how like awful they are and how sometimes they're just empty all the time. Obviously, that changed in 2017 when the Yankees started winning. Here's a quote from Lontrost. The problem below market at a certain point is that if you buy a ticket in a very premium location and pay a substantial amount of money, it's not that we don't want that fan to sell it, but that fan is sitting there having paid a substantial amount of money for a ticket, and then another fan picks it up for a buck and a half and sits there, and it's frustrating to the purchaser of the full amount. Here's the kicker. And quite frankly, the fan may be someone who has never sat in a premium location. So that's a frustration to our existing fan base. It's stuff like that that is just insane when it comes to a baseball team. And it's stuff like that that kind of gives you a hint on, like, the guys making the overall decisions here are kind of saying some crazy stuff. Tell me you want to separate the 1% away. That's that's some Isaiah Thomas-era Nick shit, which... Yeah. kind of leads to my concluding point, which is that the Yankees have become the Isaiah Thomas era Knicks. <laughs> yeah, it's the Knicks, the Cowboys, Manchester United, all of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take uh, a lot to, you know, here's the problem. You give a fan base like the Yankees a bunch of losses and they're going to start doing some digging and some some finding of things that, don't go talked about because it's easy to distract everyone from the BS. Do you think Hal understands games. why we're angry? Oh, no. interesting. You think if he went on the Michael okay. K show tomorrow and they asked him, do you know why fans are so angry? You think he'd say yes? I think he'd like, get coached there's 40, up. There's 40 games left. We've got plenty of time. We're just a couple streaks away. That's yeah, we got Redlow coming night. back on Tuesday. Didn't, He's didn't you hear Aaron last night say that? Yeah. Our captain said we were just a couple streaks away, so got to listen to him, too. I don't know, man. Call up the kids. Let's have some fun. Play some actual baseball. I don't know. Any final thoughts? Well, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. We were going to have John Brophy on the podcast tonight, but he got a little sick. However, with all of the youngsters hopefully coming up for the Yankees, you are going to want to follow him on Twitter at Baseball, as well as Pinstripe Prospects. That's at Pinstriped Pros. A lot of content there for all of these minor league guys that are going to be coming up if you kind of want to brush up and haven't really been totally up to date on everything Yankees minor leagues. Um, make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast, turn on notifications, so you don't miss an episode. Uh, I hope if you're a Yankee fan listening that you enjoy kind of the next two months of stress-free baseball because the kids are coming up and there's a two and a half percent chance they make it. So in October without the playoffs, but without further ado, go Yanks.